0: Welcome to Gloucester Book Club's Book Lounge. I'm Christina Young, and in tonight's episode, we're going to be talking about a book that we recently read, A Terrible Kindness, which is a debut novel by the fab Joe
1: Browning-Rowe.
0: I'll be joined by Liz and Joe. Tonight, 19-year-old William Lavery is dressed for success, his first black tie do. It's the Midlands chapter of the Institute of Embalmers ladies' night dinner dance, and William is taking Gloria in her sequined evening gown. He can barely believe his luck, but as the guests sip their drinks and smoke their post-dinner cigarettes, a telegram delivers news of a tragedy, an event so terrible it will shake the nation. It is October 1966, and a landslide at a coal mine has buried a school, Apathan. William decides he must act, so he stands and volunteers to attend. It will be his first job, and will be, although he's yet to know it, a choice that threatens to sacrifice his own happiness. His work that night will force him to think about the little boy he was, and the losses he has worked so hard to bury. But compassion can have surprising consequences because, as William discovers, giving so much to others can sometimes help us heal ourselves. So thank you both. Thank you, Liz. Thank you, Jo, for joining me tonight. We have had a really great time discussing this book, I'm sure you would agree. I'm just going to read a paragraph about what this story sort of hinges on, really. So historically, on the 21st of October 1966, just after 9.15am, waist tip number seven on the upper flank of the Merthyrvale colliery, Loosened by two days of heavy rain, had slipped down the hillside. A 40-foot wall of debris hit Pantglass Junior School, burying its children and teachers and killing 140. 140 bodies, 116 of them children, to be cleaned, prepared and presented for identification and burial to their grief-stricken parents. It was a harrowing prospect. In real life... Embalmers were mobilised. In the novel, William's response is immediate. I want to go. And so the story begins. So let me ask you both, Liz, you go
1: first. What did you think of this novel? I thought it was an excellent novel. Um, It dealt with a very sensitive and difficult topic in its first third. a terrible accident at Abervan, but I thought it was handled extremely well. Um, it didn't it didn't pass on the nitty-gritty of what William as an embalmer had to do, but it set it within a very empathetic environment. The book really is in three parts: Abervan and then his days as a chorister in Cambridge and mm-hmm. his training as an embalmer and it, it it isn't one continuous um, chronology it, it flips backwards and forwards in time but i thought the three sections knitted very well i thought the characters were well drawn and i enjoyed it very much
2: yeah i really enjoyed it it's i think to be honest it's one of the best books we've read this year it really great story i i remember abavan and know a bit about it but i had no idea about the embalmers being involved so it was quite interesting to find out about that. And I also felt that it was a good portrayal of um, one of the timelines is concerned with his education in the uh, cathedral school in Cambridge. And it, it mm-hmm. deals very well with life at a prep school in those sort of days. Um, what it was like for boys being sent away from home to places like that, the larking about it, they got up to, the, the rivalries and that sort of thing, coming of age, stroke, a sexual awakening aspect of their childhood and was dealt with very, really well and very accurately, I thought. Um, So Mm. it was definitely a hit for me.
0: I gave it a nine out of ten, I think, at our our book club meetings. And throughout the story, I thought of William as this really kind-hearted, genuinely nice boy. And he developed into a man with those traits, but, and he was very loyal and he was loved, he seemed to be loved intensely by those around him, but he was quite complex and he made a few poor judgment calls and he made some uncharacteristic decisions and he said some things he didn't necessarily mean in the heat of the moment. And instead of moving on from those lapses, he ended up punishing himself and he ended up pushing those people away from him and running away from situations which we'll come onto later in our discussion. His mum said this, What a terrible mess we make of our lives. There should be angel police to stop us at these dangerous moments, but there don't seem to be. So all we're left with, my precious son, is whether we can forgive, be forgiven and keep trying our best. And his best friend, who I absolutely loved, who's called Martin, said, For the gentlest, most kind-hearted person I know, you are extraordinarily good at making a pig's ear of things. Now. That
1: sums him up, does it not? I liked Martin tremendously, partly because he seemed to have an inner strength that William didn't always show. Obviously, Martin doesn't appear in the first section of the book at Van, but he's he's a very key figure when they're schoolboys at school. And I agree with Joe. um, Having survived boarding school, um, it, it came over. Very well, I don't know about a boys' boarding school, but it certainly summed up the equipment of girls' boarding school. Martin, mm. as a character, he's very strong and he's exceptionally loyal. He supports William, he helps him a great deal. They are, to a certain extent, in a, a sort of a quasi competitive relationship because they're both prime choristers, both prime soloists. I don't think William always treats Martin as one instance where I think he betrays Martin and he doesn't act in a very friendly um, role with him but I think it's key that when he finally does go back to Cambridge as an adult it's Martin that he goes to live with and Martin who gives him support.
0: William's mum says my job in life William is to love you like no one on earth and I have to say I think I'm doing a pretty good job. Is she right?
2: Well in a way it's difficult to tell with Evelyn the mum Um, I've got a feeling that she's possibly a bit too overprotective and that that's helped to make William the very sensitive soul that he is. People who read the story will find that there's tension between William and his mum over the way in which she wants to manipulate the course of his life, the difficulty she has in accepting his um, eventual um, joining of the family funeral director firm. I'm not sure how much of his difficulty in relationships and his problems with his um, girlfriend Gloria are to do with the way he was brought up. Now, I wouldn't be too critical of Evelyn because we don't know anything about her background. We don't know about her upbringing. We don't know about her marriage to William's father before he dies. We don't know how life was for her and why she seemed to cling so tightly to William.
1: I thought it was a dysfunctional, almost destructive relationship that she had with her son William. One could feel sorry for her because it wasn't until flipping through the book again I realised that her husband's twin Robert and Robert's partner Howard had all known each other in a very close relationship for 10 years before he married Evelyn. I missed that the first time around reading. Mm -hmm. So Paul and Robert and Howard had had this bond for 10 years before Evelyn ever came on the scene. So I can imagine that could be quite threatening as, as a, a a young wife. But mm. I felt her insecurities and her jealousy led her to behave in a way that I hope most adults wouldn't. Mm. I think
0: she certainly had mixed motives, I don't know whether you both agree, in her, her need to get... William away from Robert and Howard his partner partly I think she she was homophobic in lots of ways but she really didn't want William to go into the funeral directing business did she she was really against that and he did have a magnificent voice he he did have a fantastic uh, career possibly ahead of him in you know music but I think some of her motivation was to break up any kind of some there that you know that william might get involved with um because they were the three musketeers weren't they um william's dad and william's uncle and howard they were the three musketeers when his dad died he became the third musketeer and i think she was really worried that he was just going to be dragged away from her and so she needed to get him away from them
1: i don't think she objected to the farming business per se I don't think it would have mattered what Robert and mm. Howard and Paul were doing she just yeah. didn't want her son to be one of their tight little inner circle um she was she was too insecure to to accept that I
0: think she was a bit jealous wasn't she of, of mm. the relationship that he had with his uncle and Howard yeah
2: because he got but, pretty well I think that the um I agree with you, Christina, that there is a suspicion that the pursuing of a musical career for William um, with a lot of enthusiasm by Evelyn was a proxy for her wish to get him away from Robert Mm -hmm. and Howard and and that sort of clique, if you like, that she felt so insecure about.
1: Time and time again, she says things like, you'll take him away from me, there won't be any room for me, it'll just be you lot. Um, It really is an us and them as far as she's concerned. You know, she's got to drag William to herself because otherwise they'll get him. Kindness,
0: or terrible kindness if you want to put it like that, seems to be at the core of the novel. So many of the characters seem to want the best for each other, but tension and pain seem to accumulate and um, when things get misplaced or, or misunderstood and William's mother Evelyn obviously wants the best for William, but her motives are really mixed. And William wants to be kind to Gloria, his his lover, his girlfriend, but he misreads what she wants. And William's uncle and his partner want to ease Evelyn's grief, but in doing so they make it worse. Is Is kindness a, a theme that came through for you?
2: Yeah, it it is. Um, I think particularly in relation to the um, embalming that William does and of the children at Aberfan, Uh, the tenderness with which he uh, cleans them and actually does the chemical process of embalming and tries to make them presentable to their parents. And I I think that is the kindness. The terrible kindness is that it's a terrible job to have to do
1: Certainly, I I found the first part in Aberfan incredibly moving, that I didn't know anything about the technical process of embalming, so I actually learnt quite a bit in this book. But the way that, although, to all intents and purposes, just a corpse, an empty shell they're dealing with, William and the helpers, they talk to the children. They even Mm. use their names when they know who they are. There is a there is a tenderness there a, a great desire to give some sort of dignity to these mm. little people who've been destroyed um and i think kindness creeps up quite a, often in the novel martin is kind to um william at school when he he steps in to stop the others being just stop him being bullied by the others he helps him he's kind um he 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 even takes the blame for things that uh, William has done. So, yes, there there is kindness and loyalty. And Martin's still being a very kind person when he's an adult running his choir. So, yes, I, I think it's a motif.
0: Absolutely, and I think going back to Martin Nussy's friendship with William. Why why do you I think it was so important to William to have this? really good friend
2: well it seems to me that he that william lacks from his upbringing the presence of his father and he lacks um as the sort of security of a, a what you might call like a normal loving family home and it's mm. only when he goes away to school in cambridge that he meets martin and gets semi-adopted by martin and his family that he he feels he's found a sort of a stable place to be happy mm.
1: William didn't have much of a peer group. I, I imagine he was an only child. He had no brothers and sisters. I can't imagine his home being bustling open house to all his school friends popping in and out. I don't think he I don't think he had a very close peer group until he went to the Corister school.
0: Mm, he did seem like a loner to me, actually, um, at home. You know, I think he was close with his mum and he was close with Robert and Howard. But you don't get told anything in the book, do you, about his life or his friendships prior to going off to Cambridge? So it didn't sound like he had very many. There was a strong theme of music running through this book, wasn't there, because he went to the Chorister School at Cambridge. It was King's College, Cambridge, which is a very famous um, Chorister school. And... They was, There were was two main sort of songs which came through. One was Mifanwi, which is a song about unrequited light, uh, love, and Miserere, which explores penitence and the hope of a new life. Um, did those pieces of music need to be in the book? Would it have been OK if they weren't there, but, or did they have a really significant place?
1: I think they are very good Binding threads. Um, If it wasn't for the Miserere, you wouldn't have the debacle of William's exit from the chorister school. You wouldn't have such a big change in his lifestyle. Um, And my family, he sings it on the hilltops of graves of the Abervan children. Um, yeah, so they're two quite important shoelaces, if you like, that tie the narrative together. Well, Joe, do you see where the unrequited
0: love comes in in the book in the novel?
2: Well, I suppose there could be several places, but one that stands out in my mind is the um, the fact that Martin's love for um William is unrequited, mm-hmm. because Martin mm-hmm. is gay, basically, and William is straight. And although they're, they're very good friends, that's the limit of the connection. I
0: think there were a couple of other things, like um, almost with Gloria and William, really, because I think Gloria really did love William a lot, but felt as if he didn't really love her that much. And um, she gave him an opportunity, didn't she, um, before she started going out with Ray to... She said to him, you know, is it OK is it okay if I go out with Ray, Giving, trying to get him to say no, you know, it's not OK, I want to go out with you. But he didn't do that. He let her go, go off with Ray. And I think to her that must have felt like, well, he doesn't really have any feelings for me, so I might as well go off with Ray then. So I think there was that, you know, for a while there was that unrequited
1: love bit there. Gloria was quite a strong woman because, mm. you know, she she had to hang in there for William to actually end up being her partner and then what does he do he says well i'm going to leave you because i could never agree to having a child with you and yet still she stays and even when she does become pregnant although william doesn't know it she's still prepared to hang in there for him so i i think she's a very loyal hugely loyal
0: why did he do that to joe why did he make that phone call
2: well, he was panicking, wasn't he? He's a, he's a very sensitive boy, and he I think he probably felt that if he was going to do a job, he had to do it perfectly. Everything in life had to be perfect with him. And if he was going to have a child, uh, he couldn't face the thought of having a child that might die, because he would then have to do the act of embalming for the child. And that was just something so horrible he couldn't face up to. It. And because of that, he therefore thought, I'd better let Gloria off. She must find another man who can give her what she wants. It um, was a very cruel thing to do, but he did it out of a sense of what he thought was duty or his war idea mm-hmm. of kindness, letting her go.
0: That's another example, isn't it, of of a terrible kindness actually, yeah. because it was terribly cruel actually to her at that point, wasn't it? He was only nineteen, very young. Yeah. Um, do Do you think he was right to make the decision to go and do the embalming? It was. He'd only just qualified. It was probably his first major job that he was going to do, and it was a hell of a thing to take on at 19. What, what do, you, do you think he was wrong to make the decision to go? What do you think, Liz?
1: I think he probably made it without realizing exactly what it was going to cost him. Um, and he's deeply scarred by this. I mean, he, he really does have a post-traumatic stress episode for many years afterwards and he has this double fear I mean any fear of a a would-be parent is suppose I have a child and it dies but in his context not only was there that fear to overcome but because he was an embalmer everyone would probably and he would expect it of himself to embalm that child which is a horror most parents would never have to go through. I think he went out of a a great sense of duty when the call went out, but Mm. I don't think he probably realised just how awful it was going to be. I mean, it does take him years to get over it.
0: The interesting thing about all of this is that he was a really good embalmer, wasn't he? He liked doing it. He was a perfectionist. He loved the time with, with the deceased, you know, when he had quiet time with them and he was preparing their bodies what made him such a good embalmer, Joe? What was it about his personality that fitted so well with that job?
2: Well, I think it's his sensitivity. And as I said at the beginning, I think to some extent his sensitivity is a result of his um, mother being overprotective when he was young. and The, the nature of his upbringing um, mm. made him sensitive and made him very caring. And as you said, perfectionist in the way that he did things. So that he not only took a lot of trouble over embalming people when he, he had to do it, he did it to a very, very high standard and, and mm. couldn't, couldn't be doing with anybody who, who wouldn't do it to the same standard. So his attitude towards Ray, of course, who was a bit of a scallywag and wasn't really that interested in it, his attitude to Ray was simply that you are almost insulting the deceased by not doing the job as perfectly as you could do.
1: Well, he still has this capacity for kindness almost at the end of the book when there's a character called Colin who is one of Martin's down-and-outs in the charity choir that he runs. And because of circumstances, um, Colin dies and William will end up embalming him. I get the impression that he's not just embalming a body, he's embalming a person. And we would all like to think that that's the way funeral directors treat people that they're given the last care
0: of when he's actually embalming the sense that he's doing something good for that person i mean it is a very intimate act isn't it at the end of someone's life it's he must be quite privileged in some ways to actually be able to do that for someone it does seem that he gets something back for himself from that
1: he wasn't just
0: traumatized
1: by what happened when he was a a very young man at Agavan. I think he'd been on the receiving end of a dysfunctional family. He was trying this impossible balance between his two very much loved uncles, who he was very fond of, and his mother, who he obviously loved very much, but playing, if you like, piggy in the middle between the two of them, having to sort of try and be loyal to both of them, wishing all the time that they would like, if not love each other. So I think his, he had quite a lot of emotional problems in his life. The author, Jo Branning Rowe,
0: grew up herself in a crematorium, and um, where so death is quite familiar to her growing up. It wasn't something that was scary, you know, she she knew about it. And I think she brings to the narrative that significance of the intimate personal relationship that takes place between the dead individual and the embalmer. Um, I think that's, you know, she, she obviously has a great insight into that. And I think that comes through in the novel because I'm I'm sure you would agree with me that the whole subject matter of Abavan is very sensitively and respectfully dealt with Mm. in the book. Let's go towards the end of the book a little bit now. What was it, about the makeup and the purpose of the Midnight Choir in Cambridge that made it so central to William's rehab from the awful place that he had been in for quite some time.
2: Well, I suppose that
0: it's, it, it's
2: the fact that the, the choir was set up and run by Martin to provide mm. redemption for these people who were basically down and out, drug addicts and alcoholics living on the street. It was providing them with a means of redemption and some purpose mm-hmm. in life. And that is essentially what William needs at that point in his life. And he's lost He's lost where he's going with his life.
0: Mm. I think it's also, in a way, and someone made this point at one of our book club meetings, and it was a really good one, that actually William was very good at connecting with the dead, but he was not very good at connecting with the living. And it seemed like this midnight choir had brought him back to connecting with the living again. And it was the it was the turning point for him. It's where his life seemed to turn around and he started to feel more interested in singing again, which he'd gone completely off of and, you know, started to think more again about Gloria and getting back with her. So I think it was immensely important without dear old Martin again, dragging him off out of the bedroom and saying, you've got to come and you've got to help me with this midnight uh, choir. It's really important. Without that, I don't know what would have happened to him. So, again, Martin saves him, I think.
1: And also, remember, to start off with, William can't bring himself to walk into the chapel to listen. It is it, almost, he's standing at the doorway, probably wanting to go in, but, but can't. I think the function of that midnight choir... It, it wasn't just redemption, it was bringing beauty into lives of people who had virtually no beauty in their life because of how far they'd fallen and the circumstances they were living, but that brief moment when they were singing together or when they were listening to music. And again, it's the place where the thread can be tied up again, the misery can, can be brought back into the scene. <laughs> in the same way that the family brought back right at the end. They're the two shoelaces, if you like, to
0: the story. Some people have criticised Joe Browning-Rowe for possibly capitalising on the Fund disaster for the novel. How, how do you feel about that, Joe? Is that something that you would say is true?
2: No, I can understand why some people might think that, but that's very unfair. She handles Abervan so sensitively and caringly, and accurately, which is the most important thing, um, that it would be completely unfair to, to blame her for taking advantage of the disaster. I don't think the people of Abervan would feel like that at all. And so, so far as the book's concerned, the portrayal of William's return to Abervan right at the end mm. of the, does show, basically, the, the, the villagers have come to terms with their grief. Uh, And that they appreciated the intervention at the time of of, um, William and the other embalmers, and I I think the the, I'm sure that is an accurate reflection of how they actually are.
1: I think uh, Aberfan is one of those instances that it's become embedded in the national psyche. It's an event that people have heard about, they know about in this country, and if you were to say, "Well, no book," or even in some cases, no film can ever be made. Well, think of all the other traumas and awful things that have happened where books have been written. If it was in another style of writing and not handled the way this author did it, maybe, but I thought she she was exemplary in the way she handled it.
0: I agree. I think, you know, we have lots of historical fiction books, haven't we? You know, um, it's a, a genre on its own and actually, You know, there are loads of books that have been written about the world wars and lots of other disasters. I don't see why this needs to be any different from that, really. Um, You know, it was a tragedy. It's something that the Welsh people and particularly the people in Aberfan will always remember. Sure, that's true. Um, But I agree with you both. I think she tackled it very, very respectfully. And I don't think she should be criticised in any way about that. It is a genuinely redemptive story, this one, isn't it? She said, actually, that my job was to get William to the point at the end of the novel where he dealt with enough of his stuff to be able to live his life more fully. Did she succeed in that for you, Joe?
2: Yes, I think so. I think that's putting it very well, what she says about it. and She definitely does sort William out. Um, Yes. there, There is, without wanting to give anything away, particularly as concerns the plot. There's a happy ending. William does seem to sort out enough of
1: his baggage. Would you recommend it, Liz, as the book? book? I I struggled a bit with the ending, um, Mm. since that having taken a fairly strong dislike to the character of Evelyn, her sudden metamorphosis into a nice quote person at the end, to me I'm sure people can change and they they can stop stop being unpleasant. But somehow it was a little bit too contrived. Um, and again, I mean, if it was ever made into a film, there is a very similar ending where, um, again, it's, it, it's in Aberban up on the hills and you think, hmm, that's a coincidence. But certainly, yes, I mean, William is restored. And you can imagine he would go off and have a happy life.
0: I don't think William's going to have a personality transplant, is he? He's always going to be the sensitive, possibly quite introvert chap that he's always been. But hopefully he will stop making decisions that actually act re- really act against him all the time, you know, and stop him from being happy. So hopefully he's going to go forward. Is it a good book for a book club, Joe?
2: yeah brilliant book. yeah and as I said, I think it's one of the best ones we've read this year and it's mm. caused a lot of a lot of good discussion when we've had our meetings. very popular book amongst our members and the discussions were all really very interesting.
0: Pretty high scoring book, I think this one. Yeah. Um, could turn out to be could turn out to be the highest scoring of this year, but one or two contenders for that, so we'll see. But uh, what about you, Liz? Would you say,
1: recommend it to anyone to read it? Oh, yes. I mean, I think it's an excellent choice for a book club because it's sensitively written, but because it's two stories moulded into one, van and the musical side of Cambridge. um, And they're also neatly tied up with each other. So there's two very strong threads to that story. Um, Yes. I mean, I, I think it's an excellent choice. The other thing we need, we haven't mentioned,
0: but we should say, is that this is Joe Browning Rose debut novel. So it's, I think it's pretty amazing to be able to write a debut no- novel as well as this, because it is beautifully written, I think. Yeah. Thanks for joining me tonight, Liz and Joe. And thanks to listeners out there. Book Lounge will be taking a break from our discussions in December, but we'll be back in January, when we'll be discussing Lessons the new novel by Ian McEwan in the meantime have a happy holiday and keep reading apologies listeners for some of the sound quality in tonight's podcast I'm afraid it was beyond our control Thank you for listening to Gloucester Book Club's podcasts. You can find us on Spotify, Anchor FM, Google and Apple podcasts and many more. We look forward to having you join us again soon.